0: Take your Bibles this evening to Psalm chapter 78, Psalm 78, and uh, I'm very excited to preach to you tonight about what we're going to be speaking about. The screens have already given me away, and everybody's like, who do you think you are preaching on that? Well, all I can say is I'm kind of an expert on it, so I have two years under my belt, so Three, if you combine their ages. So, man, I, I tell you what—I I may not be greatly qualified, but the Word of God is—and and, and maybe—and and I don't want those in this room who say, "Well, I'm not yet a parent." Or there may be there are others in this room that are saying, I, "I'm kind of past the developmental stage of parenthood. I'm kind of now—all my kids are grown up. They're all leaving, and I'm sure they are still making great decisions. I'm sure." And what you don't realize is, no matter what stage of parenthood you are in, you can still have a tremendous impact on their lives. Whether or not they're grown and out of your house, or whether or not you're expecting your firstborn, you can have a tremendous impact. And there's teenagers in this room tonight who would say, well, they can go ahead and tune this out, open up Instagram or whatever they're on. And which reminds me, parents, if you're concerned about your teenagers using their phone in the youth section, I am so close to completely shutting down the youth section because them using their phones is becoming an epidemic. Okay, so if you think your child is using their phone in church, don't put it upon me and my uh, uh, five workers that we have in there to control your child using their phone in the youth section. So uh, I tell you, and I'd say this for the, the adults in the room, I also say this as a public address warning to our teenagers, if we continue to have the problems that we're having we will just ask that every, every parent sit with their teenager because it's getting to the point where uh, maybe the temptation is too great for them to handle. Even though my Bible tells me that there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But cr- God is faithful, who will not suffer you, be tempted above that you are able. So, Twitter and Facebook is not a temptation that they are not equipped to handle with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so, uh, I'm just telling you, uh, uh, please, please, parents, help me in that. And I've preached my whole message, we can go home now. Everybody, Every head bowed, every eye closed. Uh, but please help me. Uh, You know, I don't see how it's my and my workers' responsibility to teach your kids when and when not to use their phone. And uh, if you are worried about it and you say, well, my child would never, okay, that's great. But if you are the parent that says, maybe my child is, maybe you could help me by just taking their phone up during church, or, help me, Uh, you know, help me help you. That's what I would say to you. Uh, Anyway, Psalm chapter 78. No matter what stage of parenthood you are, if you know a parent, if you are thinking about becoming a parent, if you potentially could be a parent one day, this sermon is applicable to you tonight. Psalm 78, verse number 1. The Bible says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now, here is where our passage really begins this evening. Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength, and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. It might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I ask tonight that you would help every person in this room. Lord, I believe the power of the Holy Scriptures is able and capable to change lives. It's able to break bad habits and establish new ones. Lord, it's able to get rid of old persuasions and give new strong convictions. And Father, that's what I'm asking tonight. Lord, I'm praying that you would illuminate the scriptures through the Holy Spirit and that you would help us realize maybe we are... uh, uh, We have some shortcomings as parents, and Lord, I pray that you would establish uh, some new ways and make parents have the courage to admit their failures in the past, and maybe they would look forward to uh, being stronger parents in the future. Lord, I pray that nobody in this room would tune the message out before the message is even given. So Lord, please help us in that area tonight. I pray in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Now this afternoon, we were at lunch, and... I would like to invite you one day to come eat lunch at the Wolfenbarger household as uh, me and my wife and Manny and Craig and my mom and my dad are there and we all have our little uh, uh, children there. I would like to invite you to what some have termed a rodeo. What others have termed a uh, a, a carnival, but uh, it gets crazy on Sunday afternoons at the Wolfenbarger household. Let me just give you an idea of maybe what it's like a little bit. You've got Ben, okay? Ben's the oldest of the group. Don't think I have to say much more than that. Ben is just a rambunctious fella. If you ever have to ask the question, where's Ben, just go to the absolute worst place Ben could possibly be. Start there and work down from order of prioritization, okay? Ben just gets into everything. Uh, Then you have my daughter, Caitlin. And my daughter is, is, is a pretty good kid. Like I say, I'm kind of an expert at this, so you're talking to a, no, no, no. My daughter gets in trouble. Usually she's screaming at Ben, yelling at Ben. I walked in the other day and and uh, she goes, Ben hit me. And I go, Ben, why did you hit Caitlin? Because she was screaming. And I go, that's pretty solid reasoning. <laughs> and so you can imagine just those two, it would be a lot to handle. But then you've got Olivia. And Olivia doesn't use her words very well, but she uses her roars extremely well. She'll just roar at you. She's in uh, trouble constantly today. She broke out into a rash. So imagine, Ben taking things from Caitlin. Caitlin's screaming. Olivia has a rash. Okay, it gets worse. Then you've got Bailey. Bailey is uh, uh, my youngest daughter. She is to the age where she wants to be held constantly. If you put her down, she's trying to figure out a way to roll to you. She doesn't crawl yet, but she has got the barrel rolled down. Okay, she doesn't yet travel north to south, only east to west. It's just Constantly rolling over, and uh, if if you leave her down too long and she's not held, she's just screaming. And now Barrett has gotten to the point where Barrett is my sister's youngest, and and Barrett is getting to the point now where he's wanting to be held, and and so you've got Ben taking things from Caitlin, Caitlin screaming, Olivia breaking out into a rash, Bailey crying and doing barrel rolls uh, into the wall. Then you've got Barrett screaming at the top of his lungs for Grant and for Paul to hold him. So you can imagine. Imagine the chaos that was going on at lunchtime. And if you imagine it, time's it by about three and you're close to knowing what it feels like. It is absurdly insane at the Wolfenbarger household. So it gets a little crazy. And today we were just sitting around the table and the meal was winding up. And my mom looks at me, my godly mother. I love my mother. I respect her. Uh, I think she's a wonderful lady. And she looks at me and she says, Andrew, what are we going to uh, get spoken to about tonight? What, what are you preaching to us tonight? What are you going to lay on us? Just drop mind bombs on us, Andrew. What are you preaching on tonight? And I said, parenting in the 21st century. And this was her reaction. <laughs> I am not making this up, folks. She continued to laugh, although my face was quite straight. She said, you're serious? Yes, I am very serious. You know, I I, I may not be the, the most experienced in parenting, but I do know that God's Word is always truth. It's always right. And when there's a principle or a truth in God's word, it is worth listening to and it is worth converting our schemes and our plans and our lifestyle to. So that's what I want to speak to you about tonight. Here's the problem that I've noticed in in Christian parenting, and we'll we'll use this as our launching pad. Most Christian parents expect their children to be better Christians than they are. And it doesn't work. And, and, you know, it's harder today to raise a kid than it's ever been. While I, I talk uh, almost to the point of aggravation, of not using their cell phones, you understand the temptation that lies at their fingertips now. It is unlike anything you dealt with. The thing that you dealt with was going down to the drive-in movie theater, and that was the temptation. Now our kids can watch any movie on their cell phone at any time, and I'm not talking about uh, the good Disney movies. I'm talking about any movie is at their fingertips. While while large uh, music and and movie uh, uh, marketplaces have uh, ratings and they title things explicit or mature, these kids are well-equipped and very much smart enough to get by any of that they want. It is harder now, and it's only getting more hard as we uh, go on through this life, to raise children that love the Lord with their whole heart. So as I am just fresh into this parenting thing, and my daughter is getting now to the age where she's making decisions and and trying to choose between what right and wrong, and the type of friends she's going to hang out with, and, and the types of things she's going to say I am beginning to search God's Word as to what type of parent I am to be. And I believe tonight, if we'll make these three priorities a priority in our life, then it'll completely change the likelihood of our teenagers and our children being what they should be for God. I want to share with you first of all, in Psalm chapter 78, This is your responsibility as a parent. These are unchanging truths. They always stay the same and they always work. From the time of Jacob to the time of you, they always work. First of all, verse number three, passionately instill an appreciation of God's goodness. Passionately instill an appreciation for God's goodness. Look in verse number three which we have heard and known, notice this, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. We live in a more blessed world now here in America, and our little, uh, as much as Donald Trump wants to build a wall, we are somewhat walled from the rest of the world. Uh, we, we have it so good compared to what so many people Man. deal with. When's the last time you struggled finding fresh water? Yeah. When's the last time you, your biggest complaint most days is that your air conditioner doesn't get cold enough fast enough? We live Miss Mary Davenport. I prayed specifically for her at the beginning of the sermon. Please don't let people tune me out at the beginning. She's not tuning me out for any other reason, but she's just too cold to listen. But, you know, we don't have any reasons to complain. We are a blessed people. We complain about the state of our government and our government Uh, While it is very corrupt, and while there are a lot of leaders that I couldn't even uh, ask them to deliver anything for me, and I don't trust them as far as I could throw them, uh, we still have a government which is very good at listening to its citizens. Uh, We're not in a tyranny yet. And we are so blessed beyond belief. But make sure your children realize that you recognize that because we first have to recognize that God is good to us there's a temptation that we want our children to think the world of us so we try providing for them in every way that we can and yet then because their life is so great and so cushy it's almost like when your wife brings you the jar of pickles to open men don't lie it makes you proud that she brings it to you don't lie you don't care if it's hard to open. And you ever have one that comes to you that you can't open with just your hands? Yeah. You're in the garage using a vice grip and, and, and clamps, whatever you've got. You've got your uh, a vice there on your bench. And then at the end of it, you just end up breaking the jar and bringing her a pickle. You're like, no, I got it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Look, it makes you proud to be the provider for your home. Moms, it makes you glad when your child is at the checkout line and they say, Mommy, can we get a Snickers bar? Thanks, Walmart, for conveniently putting that right at eye level for my toddler to see. I mean, why don't you have that on aisle three? Just in case we don't go down aisle three, they've conveniently located it right there for us as we check out. And your child says, Mommy, can we please have this Snickers bar? It makes you proud that you're able to say, yes, you can. You can because we are so blessed. We never do without. We never go without a meal. Most of the times our debate is whether we want to go spend $15 on a plate of food or 20 And it doesn't really affect us either way, but we're able to pay for it. And we usually go the cheap route and go to the dollar menu, which somehow comes out to $8 a person. I've not figured it out yet. But by the time you order one burger, one fry, and one drink, you're at 850, and you're just thinking, well, tax is going up. You don't know why, but it's there. But we are so blessed. Parents recognize that it is not your doing that has put you in that place. It is God being good and gracious to us. King Nebuchadnezzar looked out on his balcony one day, walked out, oh, looked over his kingdom, and he says, Look at the works which I have made. This great kingdom that I have wrought by my own hand. That's what he says. That's sometimes how we get. You say, oh, I would never be like that. Oh, we walk out into our driveway and behold our vehicles that we take our children to school in, and we're proud we pull up in something new. And we're glad that we're able to afford the payments on something nicer than the beater that the person behind us has in the drop-off line. We are so blessed, but we must recognize it is not our doing. There's a story in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, how uh, Nebuchadnezzar dreams a dream. And this dream, and I like the way Nebuchadnezzar approaches this, because he says, I want someone to interpret the dream for me. And so all the magicians, he gets all the people there, the Chaldeans, to come up and they say, What is the dream? And he says, Not so fast. I've had this dream, but if I tell you the dream and you just tell me an interpretation, how do I know it's true? And so what I want you to do is not only tell me the interpretation of my dream, I want you to tell me the actual dream that I had. And all the magicians and all the soothsayers and the seers, they all look at each other and like, man, nobody's able to do that. And, and, And they look at the king and they say, what you've asked us to do, nobody asks us to do that. I mean, there's not a person in the kingdom that can do that. He says, well, how do I know you're a real deal if uh, you can't do this one simple thing? And so it angers the king. And what he does is he uh, starts to take all of the men and he makes a decree to kill all the wise men and all the people who so-called could tell him the vision and tell him the interpretation, but nobody can and then they come to collect Daniel and, and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego. And Daniel says, hey, hey, why do you come with such haste? Why are you, why are you coming to pull me away? And, and the man in charge of this uh, proclamation of the king, he tells Daniel, well, the king dreamed a dream. And, and uh, nobody could tell him the interpretation. And nobody could tell him the dream. So he's angry. And Daniel says, well, give me a chance. He goes up to the king and he says, King, I want you to give me just a little bit of time and I will tell you not only the interpretation of your dream, but I will tell you the dream also. Well, that evening he goes to Shadrach, I almost said Mashrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he says, guys, we need to pray. And we need the desire of the Lord that he would give me the dream and the interpretation. That evening the Lord gives Daniel the interpretation. He gives him not only the interpretation, but also the dream and the context of the dream and all the answers that he needed to say before Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what Daniel says. Daniel answered and said, "'Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding.'" He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with Him. I thank Thee and praise Thee, O Thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar and tells him that he now can tell the dream. And he does not take credit. He gives credit to God. Oftentimes we're much more like Nebuchadnezzar than we are Daniel. When we are the, have the special ability or when we're capable of, uh, capable of providing or doing something for our family, we oftentimes take credit where God deserves all the credit. John said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You know, we often take credit for things that we, have no credit, uh, to, we, we don't deserve the credit for at all. One of the greatest lessons I've learned in the last year was when I went to Guatemala on a missions trip. We were going down there. I was preaching the service where Brother Ryan Ashcraft handed his church over to the national pastor, which is the plan for local missions, for biblical missions within the local church. It's not to go down and start a mega church. Missionaries were never called to be pastors. They were called to plant churches that's why i love brother william's testimony tonight they're go they're to go and train and establish and equip people but then they're to go do it again that's the the pattern for biblical missions and uh, i was down there and i didn't have long but brother ryan ashcraft wanted me to take me wanted to take me around the city and show me some of the sites. So he took me that morning early to go get some breakfast. And we drank some hot cocoa there. And it was wonderful because it was fresh hot cocoa. And, and uh, we, we had a good time. He took me to one of the coolest sites I've ever seen. It's uh, uh, about a hundred old school buses. Now imagine this. Lined up down this road. And they're like... The old, old church buses. You know the ones that the bus drivers won't even drive because they're so old and bad? That's those buses. But here's the difference between those and the ones that a lot of churches have to drive. They fix them up. I mean, they, they make them sweet. I almost showed you a picture tonight. They pinstripe them, they'll put flames on them, they chrome them out. They got chrome grills, chrome wheels, they, got, they look awesome. There's pinstripes, there's big words down the side of them, La Riata, or something like that, so it's just awesome. They look amazing. We walked on the bus there and Brother Ryan began to talk to this man. Brother Ryan shared with me that this man now holds the most dangerous job in the world say, why is driving a bus dangerous? Because if his boss does not pay the, the cartel and the mafia down there, what happens is the mafia walks on the bus, shoots the bus driver just to send a message to his boss. And that's the life these men lead. They uh, drive these buses at 80 miles an hour down mountainous roads. Now, I'm talking, when I say mountain, I mean the church was in between three volcanoes okay so i'm talking about they go up these mountains these roads are not very wide they're not great roads and they drive 80 miles an hour down these roads you say why do they drive that fast aren't they gonna well if they beat the other bus to that location they get his and their passengers so it's it's this huge rat race of trying to get from point a to point b fast And they wouldn't even let me ride on a bus because it was too dangerous. Not because of the guns, but because those guys drive crazy, but also the guns. We talked to this man, and he began to tell us all the work that he had done to his bus. This man knew more about diesel engines than any person I've ever known. Can you imagine taking a 60-passenger bus and tuning it up to the point where it can drive 80 miles an hour? That's what this guy did. They pinstrap these buses, and I promise you, they don't have these big professional paint booths, but you could not see one flaw in the paint at all. They looked wonderful. And I left there, and I looked at Brother Ryan, and I said, Brother Ryan, if that man lived in America, he'd be making over $100,000 a year because of what he can do on an engine. You know the difference between that man and many diesel mechanics in America? Geography. That's it. It's not that he's a worse person. It's not that he's less talented because I've never met a diesel mechanic that knew more about diesel engines than he did. The only difference between him and you is geography. He was born in a land where he will never be able to grow out of the spot that he is in and you can become whatever you want to be because you're born in the land of the free and the brave. And yet we take credit for that like we did that. You say, oh, look at all the things I have. Look at all the junk I have. No, what we need to do is we need to recognize we were blessed to be born in this country. We are blessed to possess the things that we have. We are blessed to be able to put our children through college and we are blessed to have what we have here in America. But you must recognize before your children that everything you have is not because of you, but it's because of God's goodness in your life. Not only do we need to recognize it, but we must report it. We must constantly be telling our children this truth. Verse number 4, the Bible says, We will not hide them from their children. See, the decisions you make now with your children don't immediately just affect your children, but they affect their children. If I take a copy tonight and I put... One, uh, i write one word across the front of that paper. Say we could put uh, uh, the word thing. We'll just put thing across that paper. And I run that piece of paper through the copy machine. I print. If I grab the copy of the piece of paper that I just ran through the copier, and I run it through the copier, I hit print, it degrades the quality. If I continue to do this over and over and over again... As I proceed, each piece of paper or each generation will degrade just a little bit more and a little bit more until you will not ever be able to see the word thing on that paper. And the truth is, in your life, you are affecting not only your children and their decisions, you are affecting the type of parents that they will be to their children. Don't get so narrow focused like, oh, I can let them do this. I can. No, that is a foolish way of looking at parenting. Uh, Chuck Swindoll said, each day of our lives, we make deposits in the memory banks of our children. And I believe that. Yeah. Psalm 145, this is the type of impact that you ought to be telling your children. This is the thing that you ought to be... Constantly telling your children, Psalm 145, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. You say, oh, my my kids don't want to hear that. Oh, that's a bunch of baloney. I love hearing my dad talk. My dad and I have a great relationship. And I don't roll my eyes when my dad tells me about where he grew up or what he did. I tune in because I'm interested in my friend, my father. And if you had a good enough relationship with your child, they'd be interested in your life and and your past experiences. That's how people grow. That's how people develop is learning from those around them. And your children are gleaning from you every day. When uh, my granny bee died, she was, uh, uh, the funeral service was close there in Knoxville, but we had to drive a very long way to bury her where uh, uh, basically my father grew up. And it was amazing as we drove through these hills and we got to this. I mean, when you've heard the term holler or backwoods, that's where we were. I mean, you entered the city limits and you heard. As you went out the other side, you just keep going back and forth. I mean, it was the backwoods. And there we were, just a family driving through the hills. Obviously, the mood was not that great because of the occasion. But my father was there in the front seat saying, hey, Andrew, you see this ditch right here? One night, me and my buddies, we were drag racing down this street and I hit that ditch and we couldn't get the car out. He says, hey, Andrew, look over there. You see that place? Oh, that was this happening there. Hey, Andrew, you see over there? Do you think I'm sitting in the back seat saying, what a goofball. I don't want to hear what he used to do. No, I'm, I'm soaking it up. I'm like my dad used to, he used to drive uh, drag cars. Man, he, that's so cool. I'm loving every moment of it. My dad's taught me more about this world and how to be a man in this world than any other person I've ever been around in my life. He's taught me how to deal with family problems. He's taught me how to deal with finances. My father has had a genuine impact on me as a man, and you are having the same impact on your children. They're gleaning from you. They're learning from you. But what are they learning? Are they hearing you report in your life the goodness of God? Are they hearing the stories of how you've made mistakes in the past, but thanks to God and His wonderful grace, you are not what you once were and they don't have to make the same mistakes you made? Is that what you're reporting to your children? Oh, constantly be talking about the goodness of our God. Don't ever think your kids just tune you out. Sometimes you'll get that idea. Sometimes you'll think because they're rolling their eyes they don't want to hear it. Just keep shoving it down their throat. Just keep hey, they got to eat peas sometimes, right? Just keep telling it to them. Your kids will pick up more than you, you you think they are. Not only the first priority tonight is to constantly be passionately instilling God's goodness in them. Secondly, we are to persistently share a love of God's word. Verse number five in our passage tonight. Do your kids know? that God's Word is the final authority for everything in your life? You see, as Baptists, it's the very first thing in our uh, 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 Baptist principles there. It's be Bible, soul authority. But really, if you're a Christian, that ought to be the way it is. You ought to go to the Bible for financial advice. You ought to go for the Bible for occupational advice, for dietary advice, for all types of advice. Do your kids know that the Bible is your sole authority for everything in this life? I believe the Bible here in verse 5 begins to tell us that the Israelites had made God's Word an absolute priority in their life. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should make, known, uh, make them known to their children. There's two ways that you can make your children know uh, that you love God's Word. First of all, by proximity. They need to know that you are constantly around God's Word. And you need to be placing them constantly around God's Word. But don't ever mistake sending them to church as putting them around God's Word. Too many people think that just because we have them in church, they're picking it up. How do you think it's fair for the church to get your kid at most three days a week, and you get them seven, and it's somehow the church's responsibility to teach your children the Bible? Children were never to be only brought in and brought up by the church, but it's always been the parents and the home, Uh, it's been their responsibility. Their proximity to the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Now you don't have to turn there, but listen as I read this verse. Verse. This is how God wanted the Israelites to teach the law of God to their children. Notice. Therefore shall ye lay up these words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them, your children, speaking of them. Notice. When thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and thou risest up, And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house and upon thy gates. I don't necessarily know if all those were commandments, but I do know this. God was trying to emphasize, always have your children around God's Word. Saturate your life with God's Word. You know the reason why Christian music is good music? Because it contains God's Word. You want to know why listening to sermons is not just a foolish thing to do? Because preachers preach about God's Word. How often are your kids around God's Word? You say, Brother Andrew, I'm just afraid if I shove it down their throat, they'll they'll resent it. Do your kids resent air conditioning? Do do they resent uh, when you get to go out for ice cream? You don't make them. You eat your strawberry uh, uh, bluebell. You say, I don't want strawberry. I want homemade vanilla. Yeah, man, Brother Turner. That's what I'm talking about, brother. Do your kids resent the television because they're constantly around it? Do they constantly complain about the warm water you have in your home? I'm just afraid if they always have access to it and they're always around it, they'll just feel so resentful to it. No, you don't resent good things when you have the opportunity to be around them. Uh, You say, well, I just don't think that I can pass off what I love to my children. You're right, you can't. When I was growing up, my father was insanely in love with coon hunting. Still loves it, just doesn't get to do it as much these days. Uh, He had some of the best dogs in America. You hear him talk about it, and he would never brag on himself, but I'm going to brag on him just a little bit, as if I haven't already been bragging on you a little bit tonight anyway. It's worth it, though. Yeah, go ahead. You just have a ball. Have a ball. My dad at one point had the highest finishing blue tick coon dog ever to place in the world hunt. Uh, Blue dogs, and and this is getting kind of deep into coon hunting, but blue dogs aren't built for competition. They're built for leisure and pleasure hunting. They don't tree fast and they they don't work like the other dogs. The other dogs, they sound bad, they look ugly, but blue dogs are more of like a luxury ride as a coon dog although they smell and kind of get greasy real fast, but they are the luxury. They're slow. And they take their time. And when they get to that tree, they don't... Ah, ah, ah. You don't hear that. No, you hear... Oh... Oh... Oh, 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 It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing to listen to the tree. And that's why my dad likes hunting them. Yeah, he thinks he'll go tonight. And... uh uh my dad used to love coon hunting. In fact, I used to go with my dad all the time. When we were really young, I've got pictures of me in a ball cap with a coon hunting light placed on the front of it because the helmets wouldn't fit me. So we just, we just had hats, and we tightened them so tight. You know where the tag is hanging out over here? We just, It's like a belt that you stretch way too long, and you had to make a new hole. That's the way my coon hunting light was. I was so small. I'm walking around there, and my dad bought me some some coon hunting boots with some snake chaps so we could walk across the water. Dad even got me dogs when I was young. I had this dog named Crockett. He died. I had this dog named Plain Jane. He gave her away. Then she died. But I had all these dogs. They were good dogs, too. And any time I showed an interest in coon hunting, my dad was always more than willing to help me in that. He would get me whatever I needed. I'm telling you, I had some great dogs. And I didn't even know how to hunt them. But he got me dogs. My dad always equipped me whenever I showed any interest. And he did the same for his sons. Now, here's what's strange. Two of his sons don't go coon hunting. And I I love to hunt. I don't like coon hunting. I, I, I love to go spend time with dad. And if I go, that is the only reason. Maybe that's some pork rinds and a Dr. Pepper. But that was the only three reasons that I go coon hunting. I don't enjoy it. One of his sons is absurdly in love with coon hunting to the point where if his was just uh, an obsession, Gene Jr.'s is an addiction, okay? Uh, uh, Gene Jr. loves, loves, loves to coon hunt. Lost thousands of dollars coon hunting, I'm sure. Gene Jr.'s taking it way over the top. But you know what? I don't resent coon hunting. I don't say, oh, Dad tried shoving it down my throat. No, he just always made it available if I wanted to, to partake. Some parents, they say, well, I don't want to shove it down my kid's throat. No, probably your kids are are starving for it. And your kids want to see God's word working in your life so they can see what it looks like. You know, I never had to ask my dad whether or not he was reading his Bible because I constantly watched him do it. Uh, And you say, well, that's a unique case because you're in a preacher's home. No, I go to North Carolina and I spend some time in my father-in-law's home. He leaves the room 30 minutes before bedtime every evening so he can read his Bible. He's just an electrician. He's not a preacher. He just loves God with all of his heart. And his kids know where he's going. He's just going to read God's Word before he puts his head on his pillow. Do your kids know that you have an affection for God's Word? And are you passing that on to them? The best way that you can train your kids to love God's Word is proximity. Just have them around it and have it available to them if they want it. Secondly, passion. Passion. You know why a lot of teenagers and a lot of kids nowadays don't want any part of Christianity? It's because we're boring. We don't look happy. We don't act happy. We don't act like we're having a good time. And What's appealing about that? Could you imagine a beer commercial coming on TV and showing what they actually do? Standing around a campfire. <laughs> That's not any fun. What do they show them doing? Oh, they show them having a great, wonderful time. No wonder our kids are drawn to that. Because everybody's smiling. Everybody's laughing. They're sliding down slippy slides. I don't even see how that has to do with beer. But man, apparently they own slippy slides now. Man, they're having a good time. Man, do you, are you passionate about God's word? Are you passionate about what it's doing in your life? There's a man in the Bible, a young man by the name of Timothy. He was not raised by his father. He was raised by his grandmother and his mother. The Bible says, Paul even says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. He says, they loved God with all of their heart and now I see it in your life. Timothy, later on in the book of Timothy, in chapter number 3, the Bible says this, "...but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures." We all oftentimes give Paul the credit for discipling Timothy and making him his pupil. No, it wasn't Paul that developed Timothy at all. Paul even admitted, you've been hearing this since you were just a little kid. It was his grandmother gathering him around the fire there and sharing with him the Word of God. It was his mother living daily out of the Word of God and making it her priority. It wasn't Paul that raised Timothy, and it wasn't his dad that raised Timothy. It was a grandmother and a mother who loved God and shared the Holy Scriptures with their child. to you single mothers, that ought to be a a blessing to hear. To you mothers who say, well, my husband may not... He's just not the strongest Christian. We pray for him. We try to help him. He's just not the strongest Christian. Neither was Timothy's. Neither was Timothy's. And yet he turned out all right because his mother and his grandmother loved God with all of their heart. But they were passionate about it. They were passionate about God's word. Man, we're in America, we're passionate about a lot of things, man. We're passionate about sports, we're passionate about cars. A lot of us are passionate about food. But are you passionate about God's inspired Word? And do your kids know that you are? The quickest way to screw up your children is to let them see that you're bored with Christianity. Just as lukewarm water has never boiled anything, uh, uh, neither do apathetic parents produce fervent uh, children. Are you in love with God, and do your kids recognize that you are in love with God? C.H. Spurgeon said, "Let no Christian parents fall into the delusion that Sunday school is attended to ease them of their personal duties. The first and natural condition of things is for Christian parents to train up their own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord." Are you passionate about the life that you're living? The problem with Christian parenting nowadays is the parents expect their teenagers and their children to be better Christians than they are. And uh, uh, it has never been the case where children are exceedingly better at anything than their parents. Dads, oftentimes, they coach their children like they're going to go to the major leagues. No, keep your elbow up. Why did you only hit a triple that time? Why didn't you hit a home run? Why didn't you go? Uh, Dad, you were terrible at it too. And, and, and we often act like it's our children's burden to live out our dreams. Just like it doesn't happen in basketball or baseball, very rarely does it happen in uh, Christianity, where children take it upon themselves to become something that their parents are not. In fact, in all of God's Word, I find about three cases where children were better Christians than their parents. Are you passionate about the love of God in your life? Then the third priority that is placed upon you as a parent, is this. Prayerfully prepare them to make their own decisions. Let me say that again. Prayerfully prepare them, and and maybe a better word is this, equip them to make their own decisions. What I've seen a lot of parents do is they make every decision and fight every battle for their kids growing up. In fact, I was in a conversation the other day about a bully. And uh, uh, the parent was talking about their kid getting bullied. And I said, you know, I don't love bullies. In fact, I I, I don't like the thought of someone bullying a kid. But the way, the steps you take now will teach your children how to deal with them. You're going to have to choose whether they stand up to the bully and sock him in the nose. And you say, well, that's a very old school way of looking at it. You're going to have to choose whether they sock him in the nose, whether they take it to authority, or whether they buckle under it and have no self-esteem. But it's your choice, parent. And the way that you teach your child how to deal with that will prepare them when they're being bullied at the workplace later on in life. Are you preparing them to make their own decisions? Kids have to be equipped. They have to be trained. You know one thing I've noticed as youth director? I've seen parents undermine authority because they assume their kid's right. They say, oh, there's no way my kid was wrong. There's no way my kid was doing that. So you go to authority in front of your child, attacking authority as if they had some vendetta against your child. You know what you're teaching your kids? That they can get away with whatever they want. And that when I was growing up, man, there were times when I told my parents, hey, I just think that teacher hates me. You know what they said? They probably do because you act terrible. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I tried to play the card, oh, the teacher was wrong. You know, there were times that they were, though. Now, 99.9% of the time, I was wrong. But there was the occasion when maybe they thought they heard or they thought they saw something and I got in trouble for it. And I said, Mom, I promise I didn't do that. You think my mom went to that teacher? No, my boy says he didn't do that. No, my mom smacked me upside the head. You you calling your teacher a liar? No, that's not what I'm saying. No, you calling... No, that's not what I'm saying. Me and my wife have had discussions about this. Anytime that authority says that my child was wrong, that makes my child wrong and I don't have to hear all the gory details of my child's side of the story, when authority says they're wrong, when they're getting put in the back of a police car when they're older, you think they're going to hear their story? You think they're going to say, well, my friend just brought me... No, they don't get a chance to explain it. Authority is always right in a child's life. And even if your child is in the right and they were maybe caught in an innocent situation, it just looks really bad, if that's the case, you're still teaching them this truth that authority is always right. And one day when their employer tells them that they have to go do this, they're not going to argue with their employer because authority is always right. One day when their pastor encourages them to do something that they might not be comfortable doing, and I mean this in a spiritual and biblical sense, when their, parent, their, their pastor says, look, I encourage you to step out by faith and, and give an offering. I encourage you by, it, by faith to step out and teach a Sunday school class. It, it, they won't say, no, the preacher's crazy, but they'll understand that authority is always right. And those are good principles to be teaching your children. Are you equipping them? First of all, you must do this. You must set their course. The Bible says this, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Here in verse number 6, the Bible says this. Now notice, I don't want you to miss this. As, As they've talked about how they were going to convey God's goodness to them, and now they were going to have to teach them to love God's word and to honor God's word in their life. Now, verse number six that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children. Now, notice verse number seven that they might set their hope in God. Uh, who, who is the Bible placing the responsibility upon? It's saying, parents, you equip your children so that one day when they're placed in the fire, they will make the right decision. Verse number seven, and that they may not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Verse number eight, and that they might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Once you equip your child, parents, the best thing you can do is pray for them. When your child is playing basketball or football and all the guys are in the locker room changing and they're all doing their own thing, you're not going to be there. And, and when, when somebody hands a brown paper bag to your child, you're not going to be there. You're not going to be there to say, what do you think you're doing grabbing that? What do you think you're doing about to take a sip from that? What do you think you're doing about to hit that? What do you think you're doing saying those words? You're not always going to be there. So the best thing you can do is prayerfully equip them and prepare them and set their course so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. Now, one of the things that I absolutely hate doing is maintenance on my vehicle. I don't do it personally. Heavens knows that would be a train wreck. Well, probably a car wreck, actually. But I hate having to go and take my truck to get an oil change and to to get it aligned. Aligned is like the most invisible thing to cost me a ton of money ever. You don't really see any grand results from it. The only difference is when you set your steering wheel loose, it stays straight. Now, I tend to go a pretty long time so that I'm holding my steering wheel upside down and driving straight down the road. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Just so oh, I don't have to pay that extra money. And then I get it aligned, and I promise you, it's almost like every single time, as soon as I leave the place where I get it aligned, there's the largest pothole in Johnson County. <laughs> or my wife decides to drive into a curb like she didn't see it there. And boom! I blame it on my wife. It's probably me, actually. But, but what happens? All that time and all that money spent getting it in alignment, one little pothole, one little bump, takes it off of alignment. Now, do I just say, well, I I can deal with it, my truck will, uh, you know, it'll figure it out. No, the longer I drive my vehicle out of alignment, the more wear I put on the vehicle. Now, if I turn back and I'll put that vehicle in alignment and get it straight and set its course again, what happens? I can let it go and it can coast down the road straight as a string. I may hit another pothole one day, and what happens? It goes out of alignment again. Does that mean I just, oh, I don't want to go get it aligned? No. Notice, the longer I leave my vehicle out of alignment, the more damage I do to my vehicle. When I have my vehicle in alignment, I can let go of my wheel and it will travel straight down the road. Your child is no different. The longer you go by uh, allowing your child to be out of alignment, you know what you're doing? You're causing permanent damage to your child. Uh, Listen, don't ever forget this. Wounds may scar, but the scars never go away. The decisions your children make in their time of rebellion, what happens is they have to live with those memories the rest of their life. One day they'll have to confess to their mate things that they did before they were married or before they even met. And they'll deal with the scars of those things. The longer parents just act like their kids can deal with their own situations, and we fail to set their course, that is the longer that our children deal with the damage. But when we align our children with God's Word, and we passionately convey God's Word, and we passionately convey God's goodness what happens? We set their course and they travel by themselves straight. That's a biblical pattern. Not only do we need to set their course, but I want you to notice this. We need to set their course, but finally, we must step in when necessary. Step in when necessary. Here's what happens. 21st century parenting, parents want to be hands off so much. You say, Brother Andrew, how in the same point can you tell me to let my kids make their own decisions and then you tell me to step in? Oh, they're not mutually exclusive. When your kids begin to fail, you step in to right them. When your, your children begin to make poor decisions about who they're dating or who they're spending their time with or the type of things that they're watching or listening to, you say, Brother Andrew, how I just need to let them figure it out. No, the longer they stay out of alignment is the more damage they do to themselves Occasionally a parent needs to step in. Take your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3 and I want to teach you a very valuable lesson and we'll be done. Proverbs chapter number 3. Now the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter number 3 and verse number 12. Proverbs 3 verse number 12. We'll start in verse number 11. My son... Despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Notice, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. What modern day parenting philosophy wants to sell you is. If you correct your children or if you rebuke your children or set their course straight again, you don't love them. The Bible preaches a completely contradictory story. The Bible says if you don't align them and if you don't redirect them and and occasionally have to chasten them, if you don't do that, you don't love your child. Take your Bibles now to Proverbs chapter number 13. Proverbs 3 tells us that if we love our children, we will occasionally correct them when necessary. Proverbs chapter number 13 says this. Verse number 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. So what did Proverbs 3 tell us? That if we love our children, we will occasionally have to step in and correct them. But if we... Don't correct our children. What does the Bible say that we are to them? It says we hate them. Now, like Preacher was preaching this morning, when God calls someone a fool, we better pay attention. When God uses words like hate, we better tune in. And if the Bible says that occasionally you'll have to step in and realign them and correct them, you say, my my kids are long gone. Well, do your kids know that in your life, you want them to return to where they used to be? Do your kids know that you're not happy with the places that they go and the decisions they're making right now? Or do you just act like everything's hunky-dory when Thanksgiving comes around? Look, we have to set their course, but occasionally we need to step in. Look, many of you have prayed this prayer, and I'm done now. Many of you have prayed this prayer. Lord, protect me and my family. Protect us from all types of attacks. Protect us from making mistakes. Lord, just you guide our lives and you direct our lives. And if if we go to misstep somewhere, you just kind of get us right back on the right track. We pray that. I know that one time I put a bid in on a house, and I prayed, Lord... If I'm making a mistake right now, you just correct it. You shut the door. You close off any opportunity of this. You just stop me. And I say this, you stop me from making a mistake. Now, if God doesn't answer that prayer, I look at God and I say, God, you let me walk right into that. You allowed me to step right into a mistake when my prayer was that you wouldn't allow me to make a mistake. We say, God, please protect our families. And then if we get into an accident or our family gets hurt, we would look at God and say, God, what are you trying to prove to me? I prayed that you would protect my family, and now you're not doing that. And yet there's this idea that parents aren't allowed to do the same thing that we ask of God all the time. Say, God, keep us from making a mistake. I know my kids are walking the line, but I won't step in. God, please protect my family. I know my kids are kind of bordering on dangerous territory with the relationships they have and the people they're hanging out with, but I don't want to step in and correct them. You are being the anti-God in your child's life. Everything that you want God to do for you, you're not doing for your children. That's foolish. An algebra teacher one day became concerned that his students were not getting the, uh, the right... Uh, grasp of the lesson material and so he sent home a a note to all the parents and the note said parents I'm asking you for just uh, the remainder of the semester that you not do your children's algebra homework the parents the next day sent in a, a note one of the parents sent in a note to the algebra teacher and they said to the algebra teacher teacher we are flattered that you think that we could do our children's homework Many of you tonight may have heard the sermon and you feel incapable of doing everything that it entails. You feel incapable of constantly letting your children know that we are only where we are because of God's goodness in our life. God has been good to us, and so we have these blessings that we have. And you say, Brother Andrew, I just, I'm, it's so foreign to me because maybe I didn't grow up that way, or maybe I didn't, uh, I, I, my mind doesn't think like that. But by God's help, you can let your children know of the goodness of God in your life. You say, Brother Andrew, sometimes I fall a little short on my own Bible reading, and I, I, I do love God's Word, and I love studying God's Word, and I love hearing God's Word, but. I don't always feel comfortable talking to my kids because maybe my kids know more about it than me. I just don't know. Tonight, don't feel incapable of telling your children what God's Word means to you. You step out on a limb one day and you say, hey, I was just reading this in my Bible and, uh, uh, you know, I, I just thought this was special. And your kids will look at you with a dumbfounded look and they'll like, you mean to tell me you read your Bible? I do too, that's wonderful. That would be a wonderful story. Maybe you feel incapable of training your children in such a nurturing and helpful way that when you take out off the hands and you, you kind of let them set sail, so to speak, maybe you feel incapable of kind of taking off your hands and allowing them to make their own decisions. By God's help, you can. If you trust God's word at all, and if you live God's word. Out in your life, you share with them God's word and you share with them God's goodness and you equip them to make their own decisions. You just got to have faith that God will provide where you failed. That's what I often pray God, protect me from my dumbness. God, strengthen me where I am weak. Fill the gaps that I am incapable of filling. Lord, be strong where I am not strong. Be wise where I am not wise. Lord, give me knowledge where I have no knowledge. Lord, You are complete. You are everything. Lord, I am so nothing. So Lord, You just fill in the color and You fill in the lines. And Lord, You just fill in the gaps. And by God's grace, my children will love God when they get older. And yours can too you must love God's Word and you must share God's Word. You must love God for being good and you must let your children know that He is good all the time. And you must equip them and train them to know what God's Word says and how to live the Christian life that God wants them to live.